0: where is your red line no losses make as much as inflation or make as much money as you can how much pain can you take investors need to find out what their red line is and how it moves the red line money podcast can help you find it takes the expertise of David Roach and Richard Harris as they talk markets, prices, bubbles and busts and some even more interesting topics. David and Richard have nearly a century between them of searching for the red line in bull markets and bear. Hear what the crowd isn't saying about current markets and price moves in the long term and even longer. Back to the Egyptians. See markets as an engineering system, a biological organism or is the behaviour of subatomic particles. You don't get this anywhere else, and you know it makes sense. This week, we're all very excited about vaccinations because Richard, you've just had yours and David and I are about to have ours.
1: It may be the last show. It could well be. Well, of course, actually, it wouldn't because he'd just go on his own, he
2: wouldn't even notice. He would, he wouldn't yeah, care. He's not really. <laughs> well, close I mean, people. if statistics anything to go by, at least some of us should be able to survive the next couple of weeks.
1: Oh, yes, the number of people who actually drop dead is terribly, terribly yeah, small. Yeah. But everybody thinks they're going to when they go in because that's well, really, how that's the behavioural issues that's of that's the sheer. markets. We may, of course, all grow another hand. Or Could be useful. Yes, well, I was thinking about driving and answering the phone.
0: There you go. Absolutely. And eating a hamburger
2: at the yeah. same time while
0: going around well, the you
1: I have to run out of both ears. That would be beforehand. <laughs> I'm not sure that I can get to manage that mentally. The interesting thing about vaccines is that approximately 0.7% of the Hong Kong population has been vaccinated. It's very slow in Asia. And you know, you can't find anyone in the Philippines or Indonesia, which is why cases are going through the roof now in new infections. Of course, 07 is not a huge number. Maybe it's 1% today because they are pushing it. And if you go to Europe, it's actually 7.3% in the European Union. Which is quite impressive. Uh, Well, yes, but they don't think it's impressive because the UK is kind of 30% and the US is rising over 50%. And so, in a sense, the European Union is way behind and people are terribly, terribly angry which is why the German elections turned out the way the German elections did. But is
0: that necessarily the case? Because I, I feel, from what I've been hearing, that in, particularly in France, people don't want to take a jab, even if they've got the option.
1: That's true. You know, 60 or 80% of Italians would have a jab if they could get it, which they can't. And about 40% of French people don't want to have a jab. They think that if they eat enough baguette in the morning, it'll be all, or croissant, it'll be all very well.
2: A couple of galois.
1: Uh, and uh, yes and things like that and after all i mean i, I don't want to be supercilious about uh, the french way of living because they do drink wine with almost every meal except breakfast
0: i don't see anything wrong with that
1: and they live 10 years longer than the british who um are the californians who i think go that's proved and like, galois and wine uh, voila. Yeah. for breakfast voila so but anyway look the nations are coming Europe is lagging, therefore lockdowns will go on longer, both in Germany now extended, I think, yesterday evening until May. Italy is, 70% of the countries are under a pretty well total lockdown, and the UK is about to lift all the restrictions, so that breeds political resentment. And last night, or this morning, (coughs) Ursula von der Leyen, who is head of the European Commission, which is an august institution, was on television saying that if the nasty British continue to export vaccines to I don't know whom, but not to them, then they would put an export ban on, however you put an export ban on what the British are doing. Or they would stop European countries exporting vaccines to the UK. So you can see all sorts of things are happening. One is that people are getting very resentful in the European Union. Two is a lot of people like the Serbians and the Turks and the Romanians are actually turning to our good friends in Moscow for Sputnik. And of course, not far behind is the vaccine diplomacy of our good friends, the motherland across the border, all of which will make them more friends and less friends for the EU. And you're going to see a backlash against the EU for mismanaging vaccines, which they did. Now, you can say, OK, it's a lot more difficult out here than it is actually there. but People don't see it in those terms.
2: No, you always want to blame somebody else, don't you? Yes. These sort of things. That's why everybody's blaming the Chinese quite actively in Europe. But... I think coming back to the issue of people not wanting to take the vaccines, I mean, there is, of course, there's the anti-vaxxers. There are people, as we were joking about just now, yeah. you know, you, you, you go in, you know, are you going to come out? You know, what's the doctor going to say? But actually, our much beleaguered chief executive in Hong Kong, Carrie Lam, I think accidentally stumbled on something that was quite sensible, which is that if you have the vaccine, maybe we can start relaxing things. And as you know, our quarantine restrictions in Hong Kong are draconian so draconian that basically nobody's traveling you have to spend 21 days in a place that's approved before you leave and the uk is not approved china is approved dubai's approved the uk is not approved and you have to spend 21 days in quarantine in a hotel in hong kong which will serve you pot noodles breakfast lunch and dinner now in order to get away from that there is an enormous incentive to have a vaccine so i think that what we're likely to see is that as the vaccines increase as the restrictions or or people's concerns about the the vaccines decrease, and as there are, and of course nobody's actually thought of this yet, uh, incentives like you will be able to travel, you won't have to do so much quarantine, etc. As they come on, then I think we'll see quite a rapid take-up.
0: I feel the European Union are, are moving towards that as well because they've proposed a digital passport that would allow people to travel. Yes,
2: and
1: I was talking to somebody in IATA yesterday, about quite unrelated matters and he said that's the way the whole airline industry is going. Whatever the governments do, you're not gonna get on an airline without a uh,
2: No they without, have to without a, themselves a too. digital passport. And so, in fact in the old days, you know, when, when you and I were young, David, you couldn't actually leave the UK without being uh, a pincushion. You know, if you went to Africa you, you, had had five, six, seven. you had a 7. You had the little yellow book. Yeah, yeah, with lots and, so lots and lots and lots of stuff. How so hard just, is that? It's only in the last going 20 going years that we've started to forget about we're it.
1: We're going back to it. But the, of course, there is a difference. And the difference is the way that that information is gathered. The reason why you had a little yellow book was because in those days things went on paper. Now they go into your digital whatnot. And the question really is, when all these governments are finished gathering all this information about you, including your QR code when you last went to the loo or how often you go to the loo, you'll be using your QR code to establish these facts. What will they do with all this information? And in those days, I mean, it was a little like uh, talking about Belgium's ability to organize an autocracy if the government is allowed to gather all the information on people concerning uh, COVID. Belgium could never do that because it's, it's, you know, rather a mess.
2: Plucky little uh, Belgium is... It's very uh, plucky, Church but it, it has
1: got four plucky finance ministers for a country of 7 It'll million people, which is quite, quite a lot. And, of course, they all disagree and speak different languages and probably go to different quite. religions. But having said that, I mean, in those days, you were safeguarded against the great reach of the state by the fact that the state couldn't organize, uh, you know, whatever. no way it a could organize it. In a brewery. Now, nowadays, that's another matter. That's quite another matter. And I'm not, you know, pointing the finger at autocracies. I mean, we know, thanks to Snowden, what the U.S. was doing before we all knew what the U.S. was doing. So it's not all about them. It's about every country which is going to move towards centralizing all this data under governments. But how will it ultimately be used? Is this Orwellian, or is this just a huge pot of information which is used for medical purposes. Well, it's
2: interesting. When you go down to the Hong Kong thing, it doesn't look Orwellian. It looks as if they're collecting just the right data that they need at the right time, and you can say yes or no at all the right times. But that's not the point, because that data hangs around. And it may not be Orwellian today, but if it hangs around at the back of somebody's server, and with big data and, and more ways of data mining, who's to say that it may not suddenly rise to the surface again?
0: But that's the promise that they should be giving you, and, and they do, but people... And
2: they're were... genuine at the moment.
0: And, and that's it. So it, it's a question of trust and confidence. I, I think that this stuff is going to be deleted in due course, as promised. I, I doubt
1: that very much. I mean, that's like asking bureaucrats to vote for a smaller bureaucracy. I haven't yet seen it in all my many, many years. Once power is accumulated, it is perpetuated. Hmm.
2: The interesting thing about this whole virus narrative, though, is that it's now completely taken over. It's the absolute fig leaf for the whole of the COVID issue, because we've had so many debates about, you know, did they do too much? Have the epidemiologists finally destroyed the economists? So instead of having a pandemic, we've now got an econodemic. You know, we've got an absolute crisis, a pandemic in the economies as a result of People just saying, you've got to work at home, you can't do this, you can't do that, you've got lockdown, you can't travel. This whole vaccine thing is an enormous fig leaf for politicians now to turn the page and come back and say, yes, now we can open schools and now we can open airports for travel and this kind of thing. And you can't help thinking that they went far too far in one direction, probably know it, And now you've got the vaccine fig leaf to cover it all up where we can all get back to the races again.
1: Yeah, except you won't. Because, I mean, if you look at whom they're vaccinating, they're vaccinating old buggers like you and me, which actually they should just leave to die because they're economically... Well, quite right, our economic worth is is negligible. They should be, you know, vaccinating the younger people. And this is going to become a major issue when you come down to, can you travel, can you not travel? You can travel Mm. with a, a health passport which says you're vaccinated, but the young people will not be vaccinated so they won't be allowed to travel or and certain social groups, ethnic groups, will be very slow to get vaccinated for all the wrong reasons, but it's a reality. So they're restricted, but the, the kind of clever people who can get a vaccine like you and me, and we can just get but the it, it's,
2: it's the saying, you know, you can't get away from it. You know, there's vaccine nationalisation. There's also vaccine capitalism. I mean, if you're a businessman in Africa and you need to travel, you're going to get it. Yeah. You're going to pay for it. So money counts. So we have uh, a lot of this uh, rhetoric about how the third world should be looked after, etc., etc. And indeed, they probably should, because there are lots of people out there who are suffering and a lot of those people continue to incubate the, the virus and other viruses and, and other mutations as they go along. It's
1: ethically scandalous and, and to be fair to WHO it makes no sense because what will happen will, will be that these places, places like Brazil, will become perfect laboratories for the next species which might be more deadly.
0: As we've already found yeah. out with the latest yeah. Brazil variant. That is
1: the P1, exactly. So, I mean, what happens is you think you've cured yourself and then you re-import something worse mm. from some of these poorer countries, to who are poor, outright poor countries, to whom you have not given mm. vaccines.
2: But the economics of this whole vaccine thing is interesting and it, it's, it's kind of being discussed, but it's interesting that companies like Moderna, and you probably know the numbers better than me, are offering shots at, I don't know, 35 $50 or something a shot, and yet, Astra is coming out at three dollars a shot. Um, and Johnson the generics and generics are making it at three dollars a shot in India. Somewhere along the line, certain people are obviously going to make a lot of money. Is
0: there an element here of how much the vaccines actually cost to produce, or is this them making a profit? They're making on those a profit. Vaccines? I
1: mean, you're looking at ten or twenty billion, up to thirty billion per major company producing vaccines in the in a rolling twelve month period which is seriously big, big money.
2: But um, the, the thing is, is that certain companies are charging a great deal for it, and other companies are... And whether that's based not. on
1: production costs, neither you or I know. What, what I do know is if you add up, let's say, on average, two vaccine shots for pretty well everybody in the world, you're looking at Uh, you know, two, three, four hundred billion dollars, which if you compare it to the trillions of world Mm. GDP, you come back to the old problem, which is that if people didn't feed upmarket pet food to their dogs, they could feed the whole of the world. Well, here, you could quite easily, uh, within the resources that we are generating in terms of GDP, every quarter, let alone every year, vaccinate everybody, everywhere. Mm. But we won't, because um, the nature of capitalism is not to do that
2: what is interesting is how many of these vaccines suddenly popped up at really quite short notice you know we're looking at probably i don't know eight or ten around the world that are acceptable
0: and this is absolutely true because i interviewed an epidemiologist very close to the beginning of the pandemic and he said to me there has never been a vaccine for any sort of coronavirus i don't see one coming about and, and he All is an incredibly well respected scientist, and people have managed it. But
2: isn't it also yeah. strange that we've survived with flu forever, basically? We're at the stage now in our existence where we're starting to understand viruses better. And there'll still be a killer, and it's still very difficult to, to deal with. But clearly, medical science has made quite a big leap in this war warfare. <laughs> but to be
1: fair, to be fair to people who are not convinced about the vaccines and who argue against the vaccines in a rational manner, and there is an argument in a rational manner against vaccines, which I don't happen to share, being about to get vaccinated, but it is out there, but it has become very sensitive, very mooted. I mean, we have never seen vaccines like this developed in this space of time, so short. So, we do not know the long term effects. And we actually do not know the long term effects. So, to be fair, there is a debate to be had, but it seems to be increasingly difficult to have it.
2: Uh, well, well, because vaccines on the planet. No, because you put on, I mean, I, if, you, if
1: you talk to some of my friends who are actually scientists or veterinarians, who are not stupid people either, are mm. doctors. There are many sensible and intelligent people out there who do not agree. They're not mad conspiracy theorists. They don't agree with the fact that the vaccines have been developed so quickly and are being given out so widely and we do not know the consequences. Now, having said that, my argument against it is that if you don't do it, then you're really gonna have a hell of a problem. Because this thing is going to get really kill, go on killing people, go on locking down economies, go on causing all the problems as you do.
0: And I don't think it's necessarily just the illness itself. I think there's so many wider problems, yes. and and you know, health or economic, no matter what it is, it's just got such an impact on the world Huge. that you've got to reassess, and, and you have just got to go well. Dramatic, we and a lot to. of it's
2: been behavioural, and that's why the vaccine narrative, the vaccine fig leaf, has been so important.
1: The typical things from COVID are inequality and polarization polarization of views where uh, you know the hate and the, the conspiracy theories and so on really aren't conducive to running a society normally but the inequality thing is huge i mean the thing that really struck me this week is that 250 million girls in southeast asia have left school to get married under the age of 14 mm. because covid gives them no choice but to get married in order for their families to survive i mean gender inequality everywhere of course women lost their jobs far more than men and had to stay home and look after children all of that is in a sense in the same vein but this is dramatic Mm. dramatic dramatic dramatic. shocking shocking
0: Carolyn Wright and I've been speaking to David Roach of Independent Strategy and Richard Harris of Port Shelter Investment Management. Redline Money is produced in Hong Kong.